Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And uh, these are some of Jesus' last words here. Hopefully they are familiar to you. But let me read uh, these four verses. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the end of the age. Let's, uh, let's pray together this morning. Lord, we are so grateful for um, the Word of God that we have, that we take for granted. Uh, we are so privileged to have uh, your Word and your truth. And Lord, we thank you that uh, we can open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us today. Lord, help us to recognize that this is the, the, the authoritative Word of God. This is not someone's opinion, this is, this is your truth. And Lord, I pray that as we look at it this morning, that our our hearts and minds would be open to what you have to share with us. May we be encouraged, may we be challenged, may the Spirit of God speak to us today as we, um, like young Samuel said, speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. And so um, we thank you for all that you will do in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're going to look at uh, Matthew 28, um, called uh, The Great Commission. Got a question for you. Why would, theoretically, why would a young couple with uh, two children, young children, leave the United States? All the creature comforts that we take for granted here. We'll go to the faucet and turn it on, water comes out, electricity, air conditioning, grocery stores nearby, pharmacies nearby, good doctors nearby, uh, uh, and all the things that we take for granted. Why in the world would, would a, a couple or a family leave all that and, and leave their, their support system, their family? Uh, they're friends that they've established and go across an ocean or go far away and set up camp in a remote part of the world where there's tribal people that nobody in the world has probably heard about. <clears throat> nobody really uh, uh, knows much about them and live in a tribal setting. Why would they spend years painstakingly trying to learn a foreign language? Like the Sanapana. Did I get that right? Close enough. Close enough. Three years trying trying to learn a a language so they can communicate in their own language to the people that they're living with. Why in the world would they put up with 
people coming to their porches at six o'clock in the morning and clearing their throats and saying, I need something, and late at night. In fact, in a logical sense, in most people's minds, they would think of that and say, that doesn't make sense at all, especially, I'm speaking as a grandparent here, especially if their kids are my grandkids. <laughs> and you're thousands of miles away. In fact, um, some people would look at that and say, that is kind of, that's kind of crazy. And the only logical explanation for any of that is the passage that we're going to look at this morning. It answers the question why somebody would do that. And it's Matthew 28, 18 through 20, also known as the Great Commission. So we're going to look at that in a little bit. But uh, before we do, just to give you a little <clears throat> insight into a, a recent survey, uh, George Barna is kind of the George Gallup in Christian circles. And George Barna's um, organization recently did a survey to church-going people about the Great Commission. They were, they were asking them, uh, do you know what that is? Are you familiar with the Great Commission? Do you know what passage of Scripture it refers to? I'm going to share you the results of that uh, that recent survey. It was from 2018, and uh, to me, they're they're a little bit discouraging and disturbing. Let me read it for you here. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the most well-known biblical record of what is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. But despite the significance of these and other verses that call Christians to go and make disciples of all nations, a surprising proportion of church-going Christians in the United States are generally unaware of these words of Jesus. When asked if they had previously heard of the Great Commission, half of U.S. churchgoers, 51% responded that they did not know this term. Half of church-going Christians don't know the term the Great Commission. It would be reassuring to Assume that the other half, 49%, who know this term, are actually familiar with the passage by this name, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. But that proportion is low, 17%. Meanwhile, the Great Commission rang, does ring a bell for one in four, 25%, though they can't remember what it is. 6% of churchgoers are simply not sure whether they have heard the term before. It goes on to say that age also makes a significant difference in the, the, the response in this, whether you are aware of what the Great Commission is. Um, more than one quarter of elders, so um, we've got all these names to kind of describe age groups. Elders are those 75 and over. Uh, more than one quarter of elders, 29%, and 26% of boomers, those born between 46 and 64, say they knew the text. When you go down to Generation X, which is those uh, born between 65 and 83, it's 17%. The millennials, 18 to 35, only 10% knew about the Great Commission or were familiar with it. Maybe you heard about the person that was doing a door-to-door survey, and they were trying to find out what people thought the two greatest problems were in America. And so they were going door-to-door. They had their clipboard and knocking on doors and... 
Uh, this one uh, house that they went to, they had to knock a little while, and um, finally the the door was answered. They they weren't coughing; they were they were knocking, and and finally finally somebody comes to the door, and you can tell that they're a little perturbed because they've been interrupted. And he said, "We're taking a survey. I'd like to know what are the two you think are the two greatest problems in America." And the person was being perturbed because they've been interrupted as they slammed the door. Said, "I don't know, and I don't care." And a surveyor wrote down, ignorance and apathy. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, when it comes to the Great Commission, that might describe a lot of our churches today. Ignorance and apathy. And so our goal this morning, and, and uh, I, I, I would hope that we would have done a lot better on that survey of being familiar with the Great Commission, but our goal is to know what it is to understand what the Great Commission is, but more than that, also to be involved. And so uh, that's where we're headed this morning. So let's look at the, the context of the Great Commission. And it's Matthew chapter 28. It's, it's Resurrection Sunday. And we know the story that the two women go to the tomb and they find out that the stones rolled away. And, and here in Matthew chapter 28, I'm just going to pick it up in verse 8. It says, so the women, that was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Oh, they had those two different emotions in their heart. They're, they're trying to process everything that's happening and, and uh, initially they, they thought that somebody stole the body and they're trying to process what's going on here, afraid and filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples about the empty tomb. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So go tell my brothers, go tell the disciples to go to Galilee and there, there they will see me. So now we're going to jump down to uh, verse um, 16. And it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So here they are, now they're in Galilee, that's where Jesus told them to go, and and Jesus is there. Now, some commentators think, um, I think, well, when did this happen? We know on Resurrection Day, the, the, the women were there in the morning, <clears throat> and Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. In the afternoon, Jesus was on the road to Emmaus to the two disciples. We know Sunday night of that first resurrection night, he appeared to the, the 11 disciples who were locked in the upper room. So this is maybe a few days later. Uh, some people associate this appearance of post-resurrection appearance of Jesus with what the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he lists all the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and he says he appeared to 500 people at once. Some people believe that, that that's what this is here, that, that it wasn't just the 11 disciples, but there, was, there were crowds of people that were there. Um, and so that's, that's the context and as, and so now we get into the the heart of the commission, and uh, we just read these words: "All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me." It starts out with an authority, and Jesus talks about his authority. Now, there's a difference between power and authority. 
power is the ability to do something. Authority is the right to do it. And so you might have a, you might have a, a, a fast car that you bought and you might even put some red lights on the, on the roof of that car and have a little button you can turn on those red lights and you're driving on 94 and you see somebody speeding by really fast and you know, so you hit the accelerator and turn on your red lights and pull them over and say, hey buddy, you were, you were going way too fast here. You were speeding. And they say, well, who, you know, who are you? <laughs> uh, you, you might have the power to pull them over, but you don't have the authority to uh, write a speeding ticket. Now, if you see a blue car with red lights and it says Michigan State Police on the side, they not only have the power, but they have the authority. And that's the word that Jesus uses here. It's the word exousia. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus has authority on, on earth. He, he, he created this world. He spoke it into existence. He has creative authority. By the word of the Lord's, the heavens were made. And God has granted Jesus authority, and it was demonstrated all through the Gospels. And so let's just look briefly a little bit at the authority of Jesus. And the, the first illustration is, is Luke chapter 2. And you remember that story, Jesus and his family is in the temple, and now it's time to go, and uh, Jesus' family is heading, heading back home, and uh, they, they realize in all the commotion that Jesus isn't with them. And so they go back and they, they find Jesus at 12 years old. He says, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. There's something different about this 12-year-old boy. They, they were amazed at what he said and how he interacted. And Mark chapter 1, um, again, early in Jesus' ministry, uh, here Jesus is, uh, is driving out a, a, an impure spirit. And it says in Mark 1.21, they came to Capernaum, and when it was Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And we see that on the, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, and then he quotes the, the, this old standard, but I say unto you, and he gives the higher standard. He's raising the bar. Uh, uh, you've heard that it's been said that it's wrong to commit adultery. But I say unto you, anybody who looks at a woman with lust in their heart has committed adultery. It's not just the act. It's the thought process. And Jesus says that six or seven times, and he's, he raises the bar. He sets the standard, and when he's done with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, the response of the people when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. So Jesus is authoritative in his words. Jesus demonstrated authority in his works all through the Gospels. We just finished studying the, the Gospel of John. He turns water into wine. 
He heals the royal official's son in Capernaum. He's not even there. And the, the royal official comes and begs Jesus to come to Capernaum and, and heal his son. And, and Jesus says, go and, and go back home and discovers that the spoken word, even though Jesus isn't in the same town, has, has healed his son. Authority to heal a paralytic, authority to feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, to walk on water, to heal a man blind, to raise Lazarus from the dead. And his final resurrection um, uh, proof of a miracle is the resurrection, his own resurrection from the dead. Jesus is all authority has been given to me. My authority to, to speak truth and, and to have it be authoritative. This authority to, to heal people. Authority to forgive sins. Matthew chapter 9. We read about Jesus' authority to forgive sins. Jesus heals a paralyzed man. But the first thing that he says to the, the, the paralyzed man in, in, uh, is, is this. Uh, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. And in other words, they're thinking, the only person that can forgive sins is God. They were right on that. What they were wrong about was who they thought Jesus was. And so Jesus, in verse 4 of Matthew 9, knowing their thoughts, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk to the paralyzed man? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And, and he healed him. And so Jesus' authority uh, in his words, in his works, um, but to forgive sins. And the only way that a person is going to get to heaven is through Jesus. Because he, through his shed blood on the cross, is the one who paid the way, paid the sin debt. And, and we can have our, our, our sins forgiven when we put our faith and trust in him. And he, he alone, um, through his sacrifice, has provided the way for God to forgive us of our sins. So, um, there's an authority, and uh, Jesus starts out, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, but then there's an activity, and here's this uh, essence of the Great Commission. Um, he says in verse 18, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And so, here's the activity. Here's, here's the command. Here's the imperative that Jesus gave to those disciples and, and to uh, the church. And those of us that are followers of Jesus. And it is to make disciples. There's three participles along with that. That kind of modify that. Um, going. Go. And baptizing, and we believe that once a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior, that uh, the waters of baptism are their their public testimony of their faith in Christ, and and it's a picture of uh, being uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, uh, baptizing is a public profession of faith, and then uh, teaching, teaching what? Teaching them to obey 
everything I've commanded you. <laughs> so the entirety of this book. And so it's a, it's a lifelong process of, of learning and, and knowing and putting it into practice. And Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. It's, it's ta ethna. Not just the United States of America. We're 5% of the world's population. I want you to take this message to every place on the globe. This is really the purpose of our existence as, as Christians. This is, this, this is our, our, this is our mission. And if we don't grasp that mission that, that God wants us to go, uh, some are called to go overseas. Some are called to go to Paraguay. Some, some of us are called to, to stay here, but maybe go to our neighbor or, or, or go to our workplace and be a representative of Jesus. But it's, it's the, the commission has been given to all of us. And when we don't understand um, the call of the Great Commission, the Christian life can get a little boring. It can just get become an academic exercise where we're just kind of gaining more knowledge and more truth and can answer trivia questions on the Bible. But no, God wants us to be involved in this activity of, of making disciples um, to the ends of the earth. Um, in the bulletin, you've got a, a handout and I received this from Reach Beyond, which is a mission organization used to be known as HCJB, Heralding Christ Jesus Blessings. They started out with a radio station in Quito, Ecuador, and and they basically have used radio um, to broadcast the gospel around the world, especially in places where Christians can't go. And uh, so you you can study this a little closer um Later on, but this is a little bit about the 7.8 billion people on the planet. Uh, I'll just hit a couple highlights here. There's 6,510 languages in the world. Uh, 818 languages have never been targeted. Uh, the New Tra- Testament is translated for 94%. The Red Box, 30 million people will die this year with hearing, out, hearing, without hearing about Jesus. 155,000 people will die today without Jesus. 86% of the unreached people are inside the 1040 window. The 1040 window is 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude. And, and in that window of the world, you have uh, China and you have India and you have Indonesia and it represents the most unreached people in the world. 86% of them are in the 1040 window. Um, the blue circle, 160,000 believers will be martyred this year. Uh, down at the bottom, uh, some encouraging news. The fastest growing community of believers is in China, where 10,000 Chinese people a day are coming to faith in Christ. And there's a tremendous movement in China, mostly through the underground church, because it's against the law to worship freely in China in most places. And so um, God, through persecution, is doing a great work in China. It kind of sounds like when you read the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, what happened? The more persecution came, the more the gospel spread. 
And uh, that's happening today in China. Here's one we need to be reminded of, the green box. Most evangelicals are non-white. <laughs> so most, most Christians, most evangelicals don't look like, you know, like most of us. And, uh, and so, um, 7.8 people in the world. And uh, here's the, uh, here's the, the great command, the great commission and authority. It's all, uh, Jesus Christ has authority in heaven and earth. The activity is to go make disciples. But I like how the, the passage ends with an ability. Um, I, I love the verse, I think it's First Thessalonians, faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. And Jesus doesn't just send us out there alone, does he? Uh, so here's what he promises to those involved in this work. Last part of verse 20, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so earlier, Jesus had told his disciples about the fact that he's leaving and that unless he leaves, the Spirit of God will not come. And there in John 14, there's a, there's a key, uh, a key word there in John 14 in the upper room when Jesus is talking about, uh, this coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and he will be with you forever. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came on people for special tasks and special anointings and special uh, things that, that they needed to accomplish, but then he left. In the New Testament, uh, on Pentecost, when this Holy Spirit came and, and the, the apostles uh, uh, preached in great power, uh, the Holy Spirit now, uh, when, he, when you come to faith in Christ, lives in you and indwells with you forever. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you? And so God has given us um, not only a task to do, but he's given us the empowerment to do it. And the empowerment is the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. The task can't be done alone. The task cannot be done in our strength. The task is done through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the Great Commission. So the Great Commission is to go make disciples of all nations, going, baptizing, and teaching. Well, that's the no part. But now we're going to need to get to the other, the other part. It's the, it's the do part. Uh, James 4.17 is a convicting uh, verse that uh, James writes at the end of the book of James in chapter 4, verse 17. He says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, for them it is sin. So if anybody knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's, it's sin. So here's one of the challenges as we grow in Christ, as Christians and the more we get into Scripture and the more we know what God wants us to do and expects us to do, that is great, but guess what? It also raises our accountability level. Because the Bible always says, now that you know it, you have to do what? You have to obey. 
You have to, you have to put it into practice. And so as we close this morning, I just want to share a couple of thoughts as, you know, how, how we can be involved in the Great Commission. Some of them are very easy. God's not going to call all of us to go overseas and to live in a tribal setting. He calls some people to do that. And I'm thankful that Jared and Lear were, have been obedient to that call and many others. And we have the privilege of partnering with about 12 missionary families that, that, that are, heard that call and are serving, whether it's in the United States or whether it's in Paraguay or whether it's in Papua New Guinea. Um, but um, there's a lot of other things that, that God asks us to do to help us be involved in the Great Commission. The, the first thing is to, is to pray, is to pray. And in Matthew chapter 9, uh, we read in verses 36 through 38 the words of Jesus. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without shepherd Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That's probably true if you talk to mission agencies today. Harder and harder to recruit people willing to go overseas. So the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Here's, Here's the prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus says, I need you to pray that there'll be workers in the harvest field. That's not just around the world. That's just here locally. That's, that's here in our churches. We need what? We need, we need workers. Um, our WANA program will start up again in October. We can't do that without workers. What's the goal of the WANA program? Well, it's to, to, to lead boys and girls to the gospel of Christ and train them to serve him. And last year we had, to my knowledge, one young girl, about a fourth grader, that put her faith in Jesus, heard the gospel and responded. Um, and so pray, uh, pray that the Lord will send workers out into the harvest field. The, the second letter, uh, P, and this is going to be some alliteration here, is to, is to partner, uh, to partner with others. Philippians chapter 1, Paul's writing from prison. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray always with joy. This is verse 4. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul's thankful to the, the Philippian church that they were his partner. How did the Philippian church partner with Paul? They prayed for him. They also supported him financially. In fact, the whole book is really a thank you note. Uh, Epaphroditus, who was part of the church of Philippi, the, the, uh, the church took a love offering and and, and he had a gift, and he made a 600-mile journey from Philippi to Rome, and he gave a gift to the Apostle Paul. And so Paul writes, and he says, thank you. And so uh, we can partner. We partner through prayer. We partner through giving. And um, uh, I, I, I just want to uh, 
say again, uh, thank you to Community Bible Church for your generous giving to missions. And um, Maranatha, I teach a, a Bible class in the morning all summer long. I've just been uh, sharing about how uh, what God did through our mission Sunday. And I don't know, some of you were here, some of you weren't, but God just had blessed us financially, and so we came up with an Acts 1-8 project, prayerfully considered, uh, how can we invest money um, in our own Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, the United States, and around the world? And so we had five representatives from five different mission agencies, and we were able to give, uh, to channel $30,000 into God's kingdom. And, and to advance the cause of the gospel. And so thank you for your, your partnership. Uh, we can partner by participation. I know a lot of mission groups and uh, that would say, hey, uh, you know, you want to come out and help us for a few weeks? And uh, whatever skill you have, God can, God can use you um, in that. Um, there's a, a mission group coming to Maranatha this coming week called Tactica. And they minister to police officers. And uh, they take police officers in the United States and they go to foreign countries, mostly in, in South America, and they help train the, the police there, but they also share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And, uh, and so whatever, whatever skill you have, we can, we can partner. Well, there's a, there's a third one here, and it's, um, they, they kind of go together. It's, it's also to, to plan and um, and it goes with number four as well, but uh, to plan or to strategize. So um, here's a question that we need to be thinking, I need to be thinking more strategically about. How can we reach people for Christ? How can we strategically um, share the gospel with others? And it takes planning, and it takes thought, and it takes prayer. And the Apostle Paul had a plan, didn't he? He said, I'm going to go to the the Jews first. And so when when Paul would go to a city, he would start in the synagogue, and he would would begin to open up the scriptures and teach to the the Jews there in the synagogue. But he he had a plan, and he he had a strategy. And so it's it's planning, um, but it's also uh, proclaiming, proclaiming. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. For I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Uh, Romans 10 asks the question, uh, how are people going to hear unless somebody preaches to them, and the word there isn't formal preaching, it's like the word for a herald. How are people going to hear unless somebody proclaims the good news to them? Second Corinthians 5, we're Christ's ambassadors, we beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so I know uh, uh, John, when he shared last week, challenged us to share, share Jesus with somebody, and I would echo, echo that, that challenge and just find a way of doing it. And uh, um, I, I like to use those little steps to peace with God tracks that uh, you can get them through the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and uh, just uh, just uh, begin praying th- that God will give you an opportunity. And, and I think that's the key. When, when you pray and it's on your radar screen, then those opportunities will come. But if you're not intentionally thinking about sharing Jesus with somebody, you're not going to do it. 
And so, um, how can we be involved? We can pray, we can, we can partner, we can plan, and we can proclaim. And the last P is, um, is the word privilege. It's not on the outline, it's not in the notes, but, uh, what a privilege it is to be uh, an instrument of God. You know, God could have done this any way he wanted. He could have had the angels proclaim the good news to everybody. But he chose you and me. And so Paul writes, uh, I'm amazed that I uh, am privileged that me, Saul, who became Paul, who was the chief sinners, chief of sinners, has now been privileged to what? Proclaim the good news. And so um, the commission, the great commission is to take the word, the gospel, to the whole world. And we can do that as we pray, as we partner, as we proclaim the gospel, the good news. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? I'm wondering as we think about the challenge of how we can be involved in the Great Commission this morning, um, whether there might there might be some here that uh, might say, "Well, you know, I'm I'm already I'm already doing all that. I've got my prayer list for lost people. I'm praying for missionaries regularly. Uh, I'm I'm." Uh, giving of my finances and, and partnering in a financial way through perhaps our own church or perhaps I'm supporting missionaries on my own. I've given some thought about how I can plan and, and, and I am sharing the gospel with others. So maybe there's somebody here that can check off that whole list and say, I'm already doing that. And then, and your response this morning is just to give God thanks that that you have the privilege of being an instrument in his hand. But you may be like me this morning that looks at this list and um, sees some uh, opportunity to uh, engage in obedience in a more intentional way, whether it's through praying, through giving, or through proclaiming. And so just let the Spirit of God speak to your heart this morning and um, and uh, you may want to uh, just respond uh, by saying, I, I, I need to be involved in the Great Commission. Maybe it's as simple as picking up on the ministry table a piece of paper that has the missionary families that we support um, listed in their name and where they're serving. And maybe it's just picking that up and saying, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray regularly for the missionary outreach of Community Bible Church. And I'm gonna pray and make a commitment to pray for, um, for Jared and Leah and Gabe and Shiloh. And I, and I'm gonna pray for um, their outreach and their ministry." So whatever God speaks to you, the, the key thing is to, um, to be obedient and to obey. And so, Father, as you speak to our hearts, I pray that uh, some of us here would join me in being more intentional about being involved in the Great Commission. May it improve our prayer life. May it strengthen our prayer life. 
Lord, may we be praying every day for and looking for opportunities where we can share Jesus. And Lord, I'm so thankful today that we can uh, partner with uh, Jared and Leah and, and encourage them as they uh, are an extension of our ministry in Paraguay. May they leave here encouraged knowing that there's a church body here that loves them, is supporting them, and praying for them. And so we will give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.